What is this Christ of Christmas all about? This is number four in our series. Jesus is the great physician of souls. When Jesus was speaking in verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, we hear him say these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, if you were listening to this morning's message, you'll have heard me talk about the necessity of repentance. Salvation comes to those who God breaks. In our sinful state, we erect in our hearts and in our minds and in our attitudes all kinds of barriers in order to try and keep God out and in order to suppress his truth. He breaks down those barriers. He breaks up the hardness in our hearts and causes us to be receptive to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He breaks through all of our excuses. He breaks through all of our self-justification. He breaks through all of our self-righteousness. And it's in that broken state that he brings us to the feet of the Saviour and to the foot of the cross. And he causes us to plead his mercy and his forgiveness. And he sends us rejoicing in his grace. And for those of you in whom God has worked like that, that, of course, is far from the end of the story. It's just the beginning. God renews you. He remakes you. He recreates you. God reassembles that broken you and restores you and he fashions you after the image of his own son. He heals the brokenhearted. And of course that phrase encompasses something else too. This isn't a separate thing. There aren't different types of gospel for different types of salvation for different types of people in different types of need. There's only one gospel because we all have the same need. There's only one saviour, but so wonderful is that saviour that he does such a complete and comprehensive work of grace in the lives of those who come to him that we know a complete healing of soul. Now, yes, you need to be brokenhearted spiritually so that you may come to repentance and be renewed and restored in Christ. But of course, all of you know only too well that there are many other kinds of heartache that come our way. And this physician of souls, the Lord Jesus, he is able to pour a healing balm into every part where you are hurting or discouraged or fearful. Now that work begins with this vital spiritual work. It begins when you can truly testify and experience that for you, old things have passed away in Christ, crucified with him, and that all things in Christ have been made new. That's the starting point. But Jesus also said that we are to go to him when burdened and heavy laden. 
and that he will give us, give us rest. We are to yoke ourselves to Christ. We are to serve attached to him and under him. We are to learn from him. We're to discover that he is gentle and lowly, not harsh and tyrannical. And his yoke is easy. He will never fill you with dread being yoked to him. Christ is the physician of souls. He is the one who makes men and women and young people right and well on the inside. In the depth of your being. Like no one and no thing can but him. That inner you who you are alone with in your thoughts as you place your head on your pillow at night, that you right there in Christ can be well, made whole, be at peace, be filled with joy. It encompasses so much. And I want to try and kind of summarize it this afternoon under three very broad headings. There is so much more that could be said, but hopefully this will go some way to explain something of the blessings that we have in Christ, which means that we can be at peace and at rest in our soul. As a Christian, you're going to be hit and buffeted by all the many trials that come to men and women in this world. All manner of discouragements, disappointments, frustrations, losses, betrayals, Failures, diseases, griefs, all will come your way. Plus other things unique to Christians for the cause of Christ. But whatever your lot, you'll be able to say, it is well with my soul. So in what way does the Lord Jesus show himself to be the physician of souls? Number one, you are no longer far off and condemned, but you are brought near and you are loved. Number one on the list has to be the immediate blessing and benefit of having come to Christ in repentance of your sins. As I spoke about this morning, it's all about this complete change in status and relationship in terms of your standing before God that you have in Christ. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, all of us are born as children of wrath. All of us are born dead in trespasses and sins. Even in the womb, we have a sinful nature. And it's made us to be at enmity with God and separated far from him. There's a vast chasm between God and the sinner. And his anger is upon us whilst we're in our sins. God hates workers of iniquity. Psalm 5 verse 5. Hates them. That's staggeringly strong language, isn't it? But it is, the, it is the language of the Bible. It is the God of the Bible. The idea 
that God hates all sin, but loves all sinners, has no foundation in the Bible. That might come as a shock to some of you. It's not how the Bible presents things. Let me explain. The love which God displays in the gospel is not a love for all sinners in their sin. It is a love for those whom he has chosen to save and redeem. Out of his infinite love, he has chosen to save them and redeem them out of their sins. It's on that basis that he's chosen them, saved them, redeemed them, and set his love upon them. Read through the letters of Paul. And whenever you find him speaking about God's love, ask yourself two questions. Number one, is Paul talking about God's love for everyone in the world without exception? You have to come up with the answer, no. Question number two, is Paul talking about God's love to no one in particular? You have to answer, no. What you discover is that whenever Paul is talking about God's love, he's talking about God's love for and towards the church, Christian believers, those for whom Christ died, those who've responded to the call of the gospel. Whenever Paul talks about God's love as shown to us in the gospel, Paul is always talking to Christians about God's love towards them as believers. Now, love, of course, is a key attribute of God. And he's chosen to display his love towards certain sinners, not by loving them in their sinfulness, but loving them as saved from their sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the context in which they know God's love towards them, as saved sinners, redeemed sinners, changed sinners. Now, this is a very key distinction. It's made clear, for example, in Romans chapter 9, where Paul quotes words of God from Malachi in the Old Testament. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. Wow. But that's God. If God's love is directed equally to all men in their sinfulness regardless of their sin, how could God say that he hated Esau? You see, another of God's constant attributes which stands right alongside his love and which is not in contradiction to his love is his righteous hatred of sin. 
The two stand side by side. And his hatred of those who commit sins. Do you see how desperate our state is? Our sinfulness. In our sin, we are not objects of God's love. We're objects of his anger and his hatred. And we are so very far away from him. And we are eternally condemned in our sins. There is no hope for us in that state. But such is God's mercy, such is his grace, that in his mercy and grace, he chose for himself from out of the world a people for whom he would send his son to die, to redeem them, to ransom them, that they might know his love and that he might set his love upon them. Now it is true that he shows a type of love to the whole world. He does that in his forbearance and his long-suffering. He's withholding from everyone the judgment that their sins deserve. That's a type of love that God has for the whole world. He showers this world with common grace. The rain and the sunshine fall upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. So there is that sense in which men and women in the world know something of God's love and care. But they don't know the love of God like you know it if you're a Christian. They haven't experienced the love of God like you have if you're a Christian. Listen to Paul writing to the Ephesian church. A few verses from the opening two chapters of that letter. This is not the language of God who loves everyone in the world exactly the same. Paul says he, that's the father, chose us in him, that is Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The great physician of souls did that work in you and for you. In him, we, who's that? That's Christian people. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The great physician of souls did that for you. God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. Now those words are so clearly 
talking about Christians can only be talking about the redeemed of Christ. That special love that God has shown to them and to them alone. The great physician of souls has done this. And you now are those who are ransomed and found and saved. And you know God's love. You may speak of God's love. You can declare God's love. And that it can be known. But only in and through Christ. You enjoy God's love. And it's all in the Savior. By means of his own son. God has loved you and saved you. And he's brought you near. And set his love upon you. And this love of God remains remote and distant and unfelt and unknown to all who remain in their sins. But you, you who are brothers and sisters in Christ, you know this love of God. Because God, having secured your salvation for you through Christ 2,000 years ago, he has done a mighty work in your soul. Your souls have been changed and renewed at your conversion. You're no longer who you used to be. You've been ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. A new heart and spirit is placed within you. The old nature is gone. It was crucified with Christ. The new has come. New and everlasting life in Jesus. That's what you need. And only in Christ is it found reconciled to God and loved. And if you would know this love that God has, then you must come to him in repentance of your sins, believing and trusting in Christ. Then you will know what it is to be loved and brought near and to be changed. Is that your testimony? Only Jesus can do this. He alone is the way and the truth and the life. He alone can, can, can save your condemned and sinful soul and rescue it from the jaws of hell and make you fit for heaven. Far off and condemned, but now brought near and loved. What a change. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the gospel. And having done that and being able to say with Paul that for me to live is Christ, what a difference that now makes. A life set free from sin. A life of righteousness and godliness. I often refer to the woman in the house of Simon the Pharisee as she weeps over the feet of Jesus and wipes them with her hair and then pours oil over them with fragrance lifting into the room. And many of those who are present there know of her previous reputation. But that woman is a soul changed and cleansed and healed. 
Oh, to be washed and cleansed in the blood of Christ. She loves the Saviour. Why? Because she knows only too well how many and how grievous were her sins. But in Christ, all is forgiven. The old, for her, it really has gone. It's been dealt with. And the new really has come. And as she weeps her tears over the feet of Christ, there is a woman who knows that in him all is well in her soul. Do you know that? We're no longer far off and condemned. We're brought near and we're loved. And secondly, we're no longer without help and without hope, but we're strengthened and we're instructed. No longer without help and without hope, but strengthened and instructed. In our sinfulness, within our souls, we flounder and we struggle to make sense of things in this world. We are weak and we're foolish. We're weak-willed, we're easily misled, or we're strong-willed but deluded and oblivious to all the errors we're making. We're like the woman in the, at the well in Samaria who has five failed marriages behind her and is currently living unmarried with number six. She knows that marriage is right and good, but she doesn't have what it takes to maintain a healthy, stable relationship. Maybe this next one will be the one. And she keeps moving from this one to the next one. Maybe this time. Maybe this time. How many people have said in their lives, maybe this time. Maybe you're one of them right now. Maybe this time. Only for it all to fall apart and it turns into maybe next time. Is that you? Have you been there? Do you know people like that? Well, like the son who begged his father for his, for his inheritance now. Because all that money will obviously provide all the joy and fulfillment that I'm seeking in life. No, it won't. All too soon, it's gone. Frittered away and squandered. How many lottery winners have you read about in a few years down the line? All the money's gone, as is their marriage, as is their happiness. Their life in tatters. So many people struggling to maintain relationships. Experts acknowledging the benefits of marriage and a stable home for the raising of children, yet society determined to take a wrecking ball to biblical marriage and home life. Families completely dependent upon the state for benefits because no one in that family has worked in three or four generations. Atheistic evolution convincing people that any meaning or purpose in life is entirely up to you to discover and define for yourself. So gender, well, that's a matter entirely of personal choice, not biology, and definitely not the expectations or conditioning of society, and definitely nothing to do with what the Bible has to say. Whatever a person decides for themselves must be accepted and respected no matter what. And so the unborn in the womb may be considered an inconvenience and discarded, when someone's life is judged to have no further meaningful existence, and how on earth do you make that decision, that life may also be terminated. This is how the godless world thinks. No hope, no meaning, no sense in anything. All kinds of problems and issues as a godless and Christless world tries to make sense of itself, convinced that it can, yet shows itself only to be helpless and hopeless. And then the Christian, 
the Christian in turning to Christ and trusting in God's word and being indwelt by God's spirit discovers strength and instruction for living. And you suddenly find out what it means to be a, to be a human being at all. Spiritual strength, moral strength, conviction in the rightness and goodness of God and his ways, instructed and enlightened by his word as to who and what we are as the handiwork of almighty God, becoming convinced of the Bible's worldview and of the truth that it contains, discovering that truth, true strength comes from denying yourself and trusting in and resting upon God. What a discovery. This is how God is a physician for your soul as he leads you into these truths and realities. Being assured that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including you. And it's all for his glory. And I find my purpose and my fulfillment in him. And Christ brings all of these things to bear upon the soul. What a difference it makes. It, isn't this what makes you different? Isn't it? With heart and mind opened up to these great truths. What a difference that ought to make to Monday morning. Well, actually to every morning. But those Monday morning blues... What do you as a Christian have to feel blue about? Tell me. With all that you have in Christ. Open up your Bible. Read the testimonies of Joseph, of Daniel, of Elijah and Elisha, of Samuel, of Isaiah, of Ezekiel, of John the Baptist, Stephen, Paul. Ladies, Deborah, Rahab, Ruth, Mary and Elizabeth, Mary and Martha, Dorcas, Lydia. People no longer floundering without help and without hope in the world. No more. People who are able to rejoice and remain strong in faith. Even in dreadful circumstances. Far worse than you or I were ever likely to know. Strengthened and instructed that they might know God and walk aright before him. That's what the physician of souls does for men and women and young people. And finally, no longer overwhelmed by anxiety and fear, but at peace and trusting in God's promises. You'll still have anxieties and fears, but what a thing it is not to be overwhelmed by them. You'll still have anxieties and fears, but wouldn't you like to know that even in the midst of them, it's possible to have a sense of peace which is far greater and which overrules them. It seems that in all of the supposed progress we've made in recent decades, we've never been more comfortable materially than we are today. We've never had so many time-saving devices and appliances than we have today. We've never had better health care than we have today. We've never had access to the whole world for travel like we have today. Well, maybe next year. We've never had more time for leisure and recreation than we have today. We've never had more ways to enjoy it 
than we have today. Think of your own things that you'd like to add to that list. And despite all of these years of supposed progress, fears and anxieties only seem to be increasing, don't they? We've never had so many on medication for mental health problems as we do today. Now, of course, some have mental health issues which really do require medication. But for very many people, prescribing them drugs has just kind of become standard procedure when often their problem is to do with character and temperament and unresolved guilt or unresolved grief and sinful, unhelpful attitudes and habits and excuses which have just become their habitual behavior that they cannot get out of. And it's the result of jealousies and envies and covetousness and malice and betrayal and unforgiveness and selfishness and pride and arrogance which bring all manner of hurt and upset into people's lives. And they are without God. They are without his word. They are without hope. And they are without a humble and contrite heart which is able to confess its sin and weakness and turn to the Lord and discover that in him we live and move and have our being. People whose lives are overwhelmed by fears and anxieties, but the soul which trusts in Christ is a soul forgiven. A soul set free from guilt and sin. A soul able to live with the law of God written on its heart. A soul which is able to acknowledge its guilt and in humility puts wrongs right, like Zacchaeus did. And live a peaceable life amongst your neighbours. A soul which stands back and realises that the wrongs that you've committed against God far exceed any wrongs which anyone has ever done against you. And if God has visited you with such grace and mercy, how can you possibly withhold it from anybody else? The soul which trusts in Christ becomes a soul at peace with God, at peace with others, and at peace within itself. And when faced with all of the trials and afflictions which will certainly come, you turn to the word and you rest on his many promises. Don't you? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will. It's a promise. It will guard your heart and your mind if you are in Christ Jesus. Is this not your heavenly Father and your risen victorious Savior who knows your every need? 
Is he not the one who feeds the, the birds of the air and clothes the flowers of the field? Will he not much more love and care for you? Is he not working all things for your good? Will he not keep and preserve you through this brief earthly pilgrimage and keep you from stumbling only for Christ to present you faultless before his presence in glory and in exceeding joy? For those who are in Christ, this wonderful counselor, this Prince of Peace, keep listening to our devotions over the next few weeks. Will he not restore and revive and keep your soul in the safekeeping of his heart and hands? Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul. Thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All, now mysterious, shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast, sure, even while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded, firm, deep in the Saviour's love.